I started a series, just a mini-series, it's not going to last too long, um, just a few messages in a series, and uh, I called the series Following Jesus, and we talked about following Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus, and we we mentioned about the first disciples who were on the shores of the Galilee. They were fishermen. And Jesus walks by and he just used three words. He says, come, follow me. And we find that uh, they didn't ask any questions. They, the scripture says they left their nets and they followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone would have said, follow me, then I think I would have asked, where, where are we going? You know, where, where are you taking me? And how long will it take? And maybe a few other questions as well. But no, they didn't. They followed him. Now, I'm sure that they didn't understand what the implications of following Jesus was. And maybe when, for those of us who have come to the Lord, for those of us who know him as our Lord and Saviour, then when we first began to follow Jesus, maybe we weren't quite sure of what the implications were going to be. Maybe we had got questions in our mind, or maybe we didn't ask those questions. But I wonder if those disciples that had known what the full implications were, whether they would still have followed Jesus. Whether they knew that to follow Jesus wholeheartedly is a lifetime commitment. It's not a case of, well, I'm here today, but I've gone tomorrow. It's a case of a lifetime commitment. When, when we come to the Lord, friends, we commit our lives to him and to him alone. <coughs> our lives are no longer our, our own. The Bible tells us that we were bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not redeemed with, sil with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with his precious blood. A lifetime commitment. No longer do we go along with the crowd, but we stand up for what is right. Following Jesus affects every single aspect of our lives. The way we decide. Relationships come into it as well. Making sure that our relationships are right with other people. Making sure that we don't form relationships that are going to lead us astray and take us away from him. We ask the question, are you just a believer or are you a follower of Christ? Because there is a vast difference. A lot of people will say, well, I believe in God, but they're not following Christ. They're not doing what he said. They're not obeying his commands. They might just be believers, but not followers. If you remember, we mentioned that song, which the old song, which says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Jesus said, if anyone come after me, 
He must take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean? Well, it means dying to self. Simply dying to self. Self-interest. And not what I want to do anymore, but what Christ wants me to do. And what God tells me to do. You see, when these disciples were called by Jesus to follow him, they didn't know what it was going to entail. We don't read about it in the Bible, but history tells us that most of those disciples, they were called upon to give their lives for Christ. They ended up as martyrs. There was only one who didn't end up as a martyr, and that was John. And he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. But of course, when you think about it, that might be the, the downside. But there is an upside as well, because when you follow Christ, the prospects and the benefits are unbelievable. He offers you peace and joy. He offers you satisfaction. He offers you something that no one else can offer you. And he offers you a home in heaven, which no one else can offer you. In the book of John, it tells us, from this time, many turned back and no longer followed him. You see, when Jesus walked upon the earth, he was immensely popular. A lot, loads of people followed him. He had lots of disciples. We're not just talking about the 12 disciples. We're talking about others who followed him. Everywhere he went, there were loads and loads of people. They wanted to hear what he got to say. And this is what he says. He says, from this time, many turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus took, an, took the opportunity and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered. He says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I want to say to you, my friend, this morning, that only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus is the only way. Nowhere else to go. No one else to go to. Because the Bible says that there is no other name <coughs> given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way of salvation. So if there's anyone here this morning who is trusting in some other way to get you to heaven and to gain eternal life, let me tell you that that is not the case. One way to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ. And so really, that's just a recap of the last message that we had. And I want to follow on from there, because I, there's, there's one or two aspects that I want to deal with uh, regarding following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I want to read a few verses to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 20. And we're reading from verse 20. Through to verse 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down 
asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom... They have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I think the chances are that most of us on Monday were glued to the TV set, watching the, watching the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. And what a, a legacy she has left behind. She was not ashamed of her faith. She was not ashamed to publicly tell people that she was a believer in Jesus Christ. And that came over loud and clear during the services that were held. And in fact, one of the, the quotes from the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, he said this, he said, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. Those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning, my friends. Improving your serve, improving your serve. To be a true follower of Christ, we must display the characteristics that were evident in his life, and none more so than authentic servanthood. You see, Jesus tells us that the primary reason for coming amongst us was to serve. He displayed a servant's attitude. Even though his earthly ministry ended on a cross. You see, Jesus knew. He knew what his destiny was. He knew that, he, it would, that his earthly life would end up upon a cruel cross. That he would have to suffer. That he would have to die for you and for me. Now, the first century world in which Jesus found himself was filled with position seekers. People who wanted a position for themselves. Roman procurators, governors, rulers and so on. And their goal in life was to exploit their position for personal advantage. 
Jesus was totally different. He was totally different. Why? Because he cared more about others than he did about himself. Now, I believe that Jesus is our supreme example. And if we are truly following Christ, then each one of us should have a desire to become more like Jesus. And that should, our, that should be our prayer. Lord, make me more like you. Make me more like you. In the way that, the, in the way that I think. In the way that I behave. In the way that I speak. In my relationship with other people. Lord, make me more like you. We are here to live as our master lived. We are here to serve. And not to be served. I want to read another few verses of scriptures to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Beginning to read verse 1, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In some areas of the modern church, servanthood seems to be disregarded. In the early reading, in the earlier reading that we shared together, we find here that the mother of James and John, she comes to Jesus and she begs him to grant her two sons uh, a special privilege that they might sit on his right and left in the kingdom. Now, she didn't ask that her sons occupy the center. She was quite willing for that place to be given to Jesus. But she pushed for James and John to be candidates for thrones two and three. How did the others react? Well, naturally they reacted like men, like we would perhaps have reacted as well. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant. They were indignant. Well, who do you think you are? Why do you think you should have any special privileges are you better than we are? Why? And I'm sure that was the way they reacted. Jesus, however, took advantage of the mother's request to teach his disciples the difference between his view of things and the philosophy of the day. Society then as now operated with clear lines of authority. In verse 25 of the reading that we shared together the we find there in verse 25 it says you Jesus called them together and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them so the implications there was the rulers of the day not only did they exercise authority but they 
delighted in doing so. They enjoyed the power. They liked to be in charge and they liked to give their orders. They enjoyed it. Exercising authority over others. In fact, there's quite a few verses of scripture that, uh, that tell us the right way that we should behave. And if we look at uh, Colossians and chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So it reminds us that whatever we do, whether it be a menial task or whether it be something greater, it's important to do it right. It's important, it's important to put our heart and soul into what we're doing because, it, because the, the apostle says here in this, uh, in, in this letter to the Colossians, he's saying, look, he says, whatever you do, do it right because you're not just doing it for men. You might think you're doing it for other people, but in, in actual fact, you're serving the Lord. You're doing it for the Lord. So if you're doing it for the Lord, then you need to do it right. And you need to make sure you put your heart and soul into it. You see, the rulers, they enjoyed the feeling of power. But Jesus said that in the kingdom, it's going to be totally different to that. Totally different. Those called upon to exercise authority must delight in serving others. And the New Testament pattern for leadership in the church arises from a servant's heart. And that, I believe, is a challenge for each one of us. It's a challenge for me. As we ask ourselves the question, have I got a servant heart? And we need to challenge ourselves with that. Another scripture is found in, uh, I know there's quite a few scriptures that, are, that we're looking up this morning. This is Mark chapter 9 and verse 33. Mark 9, verse 33. It says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about <coughs> who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? They'd been having the disciples, they'd been having an argument amongst themselves. Who was going to be the greatest? A dispute had arisen between them. Who would be the greatest? We're not told the exact um, details of the conversation, but um, we can only speculate what was being said. Peter could have said, well, it was me who confessed Jesus as the Messiah when he asked who people, um, who people said that I was and when he turned the question on them and said, well, who do you say that I am? If you remember, it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we know that you are the one who should come into the world. You are the Messiah. 
He confessed that. So he might have thought that he should have a special privilege, that he should be greatest in the kingdom. And then there was John. He, you know, the Bible says that John, the disciple John, was very close to Jesus. And he could have said, well, I'm closer to Jesus than any of you. It should be me. And then maybe Andrew. Now, Andrew was one of the first disciples who was called. And he could have said that, well, I was first. Jesus called me first. So I should be greatest. However, the conversation, we don't know how the conversation went, but however it went, it was clear that they were thinking of themselves. The motive was completely selfish. And when we fail to understand the path to spiritual greatness, then that's where disputes arise. Most difficulties arise in churches. Most divisions are caused through a lack of a servant's attitude. You see, human nature is such that people don't really want to be don't really want to serve, but they want to be served. That's the that's the old nature. Uh, some of you may have heard of Selwyn Hughes. Now Selwyn Hughes, he, he he used to be a pastor many years ago. He's gone to be with the Lord many years ago as well. But he um, he used to write a, a daily devotional every day with Jesus. Some of you will remember it. Um, I used the, uh, the Selwyn Hughes daily devotional for years and years, and I have to say it was a great it was a real great spiritual help to me. And when he was pastor, he was pastoring a church in Wales. And uh, on one occasion, this fellow turns up in his church and uh, he said, God has told me that I've got to come to this church. And he's also told me that I'm going to be a leader. So Selwyn Hughes, he must have been very wise. He was only a young man at the time. He, uh, he was pastoring, a he was, as I say, he was pastoring a church in Wales. And, um, and, he, and uh, he, you know, he, he obviously had to think on his feet. He had to think very quickly. What reply could he give to someone who said God had told him that he was going to be a leader in his church? Selwyn Hughes just turned to him and he says, well, I'll tell you what. He says, we've got, we've got a vacancy at the moment in the church. And uh, we need someone to, uh, to stand at the door of the church and give hymn books out. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, you do that job for, for the next six months and then come back and see me. Selwyn Hughes writes in his autobiography <coughs> that he never saw him again. <laughs> he didn't come back. He obviously wasn't interested in serving. He wanted to lead but he wasn't interested in serving. He wasn't interested in doing the menial tasks. And so someone said that if you, that if you are too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And that's absolutely right, isn't it? And of course we find when we read the, when we read uh, the writings of Paul the Apostle, we find that he truly had a servant's heart. Just a couple of scriptures that I want to read to you. The first is in the, uh, the letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. 
And I'm reading uh, from verse 1 of that chapter. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And then, uh, still in 1 Corinthians, and moving on a few chapters to verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. This is what he said. Paul says, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So we find there in Paul a real humility. We find there a real servant's heart. We find in Paul an example. But our greatest example and the best illustration of servanthood is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our supreme example. And in the first reading that we share together in John's Gospel, chapter 13, bearing in mind that this was at the Last Supper, this was the night before Jesus was crucified. And in these verses, we have one of the most powerful lessons that Jesus ever gave to bring home to the disciples the truth of true servanthood when he stooped to wash the disciples' feet. And you know, some of the greatest truths are not just spoken, but they are acted. It's true to say that there are times when actions speak louder than words. And of course we have examples in the scripture where actions speak louder than words. Remember when Mary of Bethany anointed the, the feet of Jesus, she broke the alabaster box of ointment. And the scripture says that she anointed the head of Jesus and she washed his feet with her tears and she wiped his feet with her hair. No eloquent words were spoken on that occasion. Yet she performed a most eloquent deed. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't speak a lot of words. In fact, there are just eight sentences that are recorded there. But his act of dying on the cross had eternal benefits for all who will call upon him. Praise the Lord. Bringing life to the dying. Bringing hope to the desperate. 
bringing joy to the sorrowful, bringing healing to the sick, peace to the troubled, pardon to the guilty. And I have to say this morning, my friend, that without the cross, there is no gospel. There is no gospel to preach. Because right at the centre, right at the heart of the Christian message is a cross. And that is where it all starts. Have you been to the cross? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin? Because that was why he came. That was why Jesus came to earth. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life. That's what we sang earlier on. And to give his life that we might live. It was necessary for Jesus to die. Why? Because us poor sinners would be helpless without the cross. Without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Then, friends, we would not stand a chance. There would be no eternal life for you or for me. But Jesus took the punishment for your sin. He took the punishment for my sin. But the Bible tells us that on the third day he rose from the dead and he is alive today and he is now living in the power of an endless life. And the gospel of Christ is still as powerful as it ever was. It is still the power of God unto salvation. Thank God that we still have a message to preach in 2022. And it is the message of the gospel. And it is the message that changes life. When people listen to the gospel, when people hear the gospel, when people respond to the gospel and receive Jesus as their own personal saviour, then their lives are changed. The Bible tells us that all things have passed away. And all things become new. You see, when we partake in the communion, which we will be doing in a few moments, the breaking of bread, we read a few scriptures. We don't have to use a lot of words. But the emblems speak for themselves. The bread, Jesus said, it says that he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And when he gave them the wine, he said, and this is my blood that he shed for you. When we apply this principle to the incident that took place in the upper room at our Lord's Last Supper, what do we find? Here, it may have been difficult for the disciples to accept Jesus' words about servanthood. But friends, it was impossible to ignore his actions. When he, you see, wash, the washing of feet was, you know, it was quite a, a common custom in the, in, in, in the Middle East. You know, for uh, when when people entered someone's house, if you went to someone's house, if you were a guest, then uh, they would probably call a servant to come and to wash your feet. Personally, I wouldn't like the job. I don't know about you, you know. <laughs> you know, washing people's feet. But the what we're talking about here is the servant. 
You see, it was usually the servant who washed the feet. Here we find that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He was humble. And he showed it by washing the disciples' feet. It was to teach them a valuable lesson. It may have been difficult for them to accept what he had said about servanthood. But friends, it was impossible for them to ignore his actions. Why? Because kneeling before them was the creator of the universe. Think about that for a moment. The Bible says that he was with God in the beginning. And without him, nothing was made that was made. John's Gospel, chapter 1. You see, in striving to be great, it got them nowhere. But when we concentrate on how we can serve others, then we are truly demonstrating true servanthood. Because as we bend, we rise. The servant of all becomes the greatest of all. Jesus was the greatest servant that the world has ever seen. He tells us in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself and he became a servant. I'll just read that scripture to you. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, <coughs> he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He became a servant. And he, the servant, longs for all who follow him should, ex should ex exhibit the same attitude and the same characteristics. And he still calls us. And he says, come, follow me. Come and be a servant. He doesn't offer greatness as the world measures greatness. He doesn't offer any automatic prosperity. He doesn't offer a trouble-free life. He just says to you, come and be a servant. And you know, friends, one day, for those who love him, for those who have made that decision to follow him, for those who have repented of their sin and asked for his forgiveness and cleansing and have followed him, they will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I just want to finish this morning by reading the words of the song that we sang earlier. From heaven you came, helpless babe, entered our world, your glory veiled, not to be served, but to serve, and give your life that we might live. 
There in the garden of tears, my heavy load you chose to bear. His heart with sorrow was torn, yet not my will but yours, he said. Come see his hands and his feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice. Hands that flung stars into space, to cruel nails surrendered. And then the last verse, this is where it's applying to us. It, all, it tells us what Jesus did before, but now he's saying how we should react to it and how we should respond. So let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him each other's needs to prefer for it is Christ we're serving. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for the example that you have set before us that you became a servant that you were willing to humble yourself and you were willing to come from heaven's glory and you were willing to rub shoulders with men and you were willing to go all the way to the cross to lay down your life for us as a ransom and lord we want to thank you this morning for what you did when you demonstrated true servanthood. And we pray that you will help us to be servants, to, to lay our lives on the altar, as it were, and to bring our lives as a daily offering to the servant king. Amen.